Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Luke Johnson. I am a member of the corporate news and analysis team based in Houston. And today we are recording the first in a new series of podcasts focused specifically on what we call competitive intelligence, where we take a broad look at the macro trends and more specific corporate strategies that are driving today's energy industry. So to kick things off, we will be looking at the biggest corporation of all, Saudi Aramco, which launched what is uh, expected to be the largest IPO in history. And to walk us through what this means for Aramco itself and for the broader oil and gas sector, we are lucky to have two of the industry's most plugged-in journalists covering the company and the region. Um, Amina Bakar is our Deputy Bureau Chief in Dubai. Thanks for calling in, Amina. Thank you, Luke. And we've also got Oliver Klaus on the line, our Dubai Bureau Chief. How's it going, Oliver? Very good. Thanks, Luke. All right. So the Aramco IPO has been one of the biggest corporate stories really for a few years now, um, and it's finally starting to move forward actually very quickly in the last couple of weeks. We recently learned that they have priced the shares that will be offered on the domestic Tadawul exchange in Saudi Arabia, uh, resulting in a valuation of about $1.6 to $1.7 trillion based on the current float of uh, 1.5% of the company. Um, And that's a pretty staggering valuation for any company, but it is still hundreds of billions of dollars less than the $2 trillion that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman had been targeting. So Amina, let's start with you. Um, How surprising is it that, or how surprising is this valuation? um, And what has been the reaction to, to it both inside and outside Saudi Arabia? I think the fact that the valuation came under $2 trillion wasn't much of a surprise to anybody who's been following the story. It wasn't a surprise to bankers. It wasn't a surprise to uh, journalists or even to Saudis. I mean, the $2 trillion number, when it was first announced by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman in 2016, it was quite an ambitious target. So when uh, we saw that the valuation that Aramco announced came under that, uh, which you mentioned is between one point six to one point seven. Uh, it's still high, but uh, uh, it, it definitely missed the two trillion mark. Um, now, the reaction in Saudi Arabia, um, I mean, among the local domestic traders, they're quite excited. Uh, this is uh, their chance to buy a stake in the company, which uh, they've always uh, dreamed of, uh, of having a portion of. So there's a lot of excitement in that, uh, in that segment. Um, but internationally, uh, I think uh, there's, there's less excitement about that valuation. And there was communication to Aramco from some international investors investors telling them that they're not prepared to uh, expose themselves to investing in Aramco if the valuation is above uh, 1.5 trillion. And look, uh, maybe just one point to add um, on this, you know, the, the valuation may not be 2 trillion, but it could still in theory at least uh, become the world's largest uh, offering um, if the share price uh, range comes in at the higher end, uh, which would mean they could potentially raise uh, um, $25.6 billion uh, from, from the offering, and that would make it just a little bit larger than that of uh, um, Alibaba in uh, 2014, of course. 
Mm. And so is that going to depend kind of on uh, how oversubscribed the, the, the first round is? Yeah, I think we have to see um, how strong demand is. And ultimately, during the book building process, I guess they will, you know, they will decide um, what the share price is, is going to be. I mean, they have a, a relatively narrow range between 30 and 32 Saudi reals, which is, uh, you know, around $8 and, and a, li a little above. So um, in the end, I guess demand will tell where it's going to be. Mm. Okay, well, the other big news that came out uh, kind of in conjunction with the share pricing is that Aramco has decided to cancel its international roadshow, which I think took a lot of people by surprise. And my understanding was that the international investors were supposed to play a big role in making this listing a success. So why do we think they ended up pulling the plug on the roadshow at this stage in the process? Well, look, there was a lot of disappointment uh, from some of the international investors and international banks that uh, shared with Aramco's valuations uh, that they were quite unhappy with. Um, number of bankers uh, met with Aramco executives on Saturday and all of last week, actually, and some of them shared valuations of 1.1 to 1.2 trillion uh, dollars, while other international investors, as I mentioned before, told them that they're not prepared to invest if the valuation is anything above uh, a $1.5 trillion. So there was uh, a lot of uh, disappointment from Aramco's management from the reaction of uh, the international bankers and investors. So it was decided and it was really last minute to pull the plug on the entire overseas roadshow. Um, so currently, they're marketing the the IPO domestically. Um, there was a question of uh, whether they would be coming to the Gulf countries. But from what I understand uh, from our sources on the ground, that they've already presented to sovereign wealth funds in the region. So they don't need to come to the Gulf states. Um, and rather, I mean, it's still open for international uh, investors to participate, but they need to qualify uh, first uh, through the Tadawal uh, stock exchange, and then they could uh, participate. So it, re it, it looks like this is mostly a, a Saudi affair, a regional affair. And I guess um, what we still may see uh, is some Russian and Chinese investment going in, isn't it? Uh, um, they're talking what to Chinese. Uh, yeah, and, that's and right. Russian I mean, Russian. Uh, it's it's basically based on their new alliance that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has with Putin. Um, that might materialize in the Russian sovereign wealth funds buying into Aramco, um, and the Chinese uh, appear to show interest before. So we might see Chinese uh, investors buying Aramco sh shares. So obviously, some institutional investors uh, taking their positions now. Uh, when do we expect the shares to actually begin trading? Trading starts on the 11th of uh, December. That's the date we have so far. The final price uh, is due to be set on the 5th of December, which coincides with the OPEC meeting. Um, and so mm. far, I mean, there's a lot of parallels being drawn on what the oil price would be that day. Um, and mm. what we're hearing is that uh, for the time being, Saudi Arabia wants to keep the current OPEC pact intact to make sure that there is no volatility in the market. So trading on the 11th of December, final price on the 5th of December. Okay, well, uh, so stepping back a little bit, um, this is not exactly a prime time to launch an IPO of an energy energy company. Um, there are few sectors as unloved on public exchanges as energy is today for 
any number of reasons. So why is Saudi Arabia pushing ahead with such a consequential IPO right now? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. I mean, um, it's been on the drawing board for uh, almost four years now since it was first announced. So um, I think it was always something that the crown prince had to deliver on. I mean, this was one of his first major announcements in relation to the Saudi Economic Reform Vision 2030. And the Aramco IPO was always a critical component of it in that it was supposed to raise significant funds for the Saudi Public Investment Fund, which is basically the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Um, And these funds in turn were supposed to be invested, uh, are supposed to be invested in, um, you know, the diversification of the Saudi economy to actually diversify it away from uh, fossil fuels and the kingdom's reliance on oil. So it was always going to be um, an important cornerstone of that initiative Um, uh, I think, you know, there is probably also an element in there of the Saudis realizing if they wait much longer to go ahead with this IPO, you know, the the issue of the energy transition that we're seeing playing out across the globe, you know, that that could become, you know, even more of an obstacle to uh, making this an attractive sale, at least internationally. And so I think there was a bit of time pressure in that sense as well. And so uh, I think uh, from a Saudi perspective, it really kind of had to happen now. Kind of like now or never. And don't forget, Luke, I mean, this announcement was made in 2016 and we're in 2019 (laughs) now. And we already had one setback last year when um, Aramco uh, announced that it was going to buy 70% of SABIC from the PIF. So it was really time to to make this happen because many people were questioning if it was going to happen in the first place or not. And, you know, the thing Mm -hmm. is, it's it's one of those things like we said just now, I mean... um, People want to see the crown prince in many ways deliver on um, on his plans, and you know he he will want to deliver on on, on his own announcement. So I think, um, you know, he in many ways he couldn't have just let it slip and and not have it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's look at this. What what impact this is going to have on uh, Aramco itself? Um, and I guess just how do you expect this listing to affect uh, Aramco's corporate strategy? I mean, obviously, there's a big difference between operating as a private company with few of any external interests at play, and then having to answer to investors every few months. So, do you expect much change in terms of what Aramco prioritizes and what it chooses to invest in? Yeah, of course, in terms of strategy, there is going to be a lot more focus, as you mentioned, that they're answering to investors now. So there's going to be a focus on uh, turning Aramco into the largest energy, uh, uh, largest uh, integrated energy company, which has been their objective for a while, but also to focus on a lot of the commercial aspects of uh, the company, um, increase their trading uh, sector. Uh, I mean, this is one area that they're they're looking at uh, trading LNG, uh, acquiring stakes in international projects. Uh, Ramco having a bigger uh, international footprint in general, um, and as well as uh, taking less part in projects in the kingdom that uh, Aramco had to uh, 
do for so many years, like building schools and uh, school, uh, football pitches and so on. I mean, all of these social activities now need to uh, have an economic return for the company, and they will only do them if there is a commercial uh, reason behind them. So I, I see the company changing like that. In addition to becoming more transparent, they need to start sharing uh, more, more regularly. I think that's actually mm -hmm. something that's going to be really interesting to see how Aramco, you know, that's been managed uh, um, in many ways quite secretly uh, uh, over the past decades. You know, it'll be interesting to see how they're actually going to respond to, um, you know, analyst uh, uh, questions, sensitive issues that, um, you know, they're not really used to answering. So I think it, it, this will bring about potentially at least a real change in, in, in culture in, in the company. It's certainly not something they, they, they're used to. And I think um, in many ways, that's going to be a challenge for Aramco to, to respond yeah. to this. But don't forget, Oliver, many of the shareholders now are Saudi, and I'm not sure how far yeah. they're willing to question that, Aramco. That's, that, that's a big question. You know, hmm. Are they going to challenge uh, Aramco or not? So I think it'll come down to which foreign investors are going to uh, be involved and uh, whether they'll be pushing Aramco or not. So yeah, this decision to to make this strictly domestic, at least at first, uh, I mean, you just kind of touched on it, but I mean, what what else is behind this decision? There had been a lot of talk about listing in New York or in London or or in Hong Kong, but of course they just ended up going on the on the Saudi Tadawul at, 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 at this point, um, which is a relatively small stock market by international standards for a company the size of Aramco. I mean, I think it was always clear that there will be also a listing in Saudi Arabia. Um, and, and that's because the, the strategy has long been, you know, to list majority or to, to list government owned companies, float parts of them, to distribute uh, wealth among the Saudi population. And so they've done this with petrochemical companies, uh, for example, over the past decade. Um, so this was, it was always going to be the case that Aramco would be listed in Riyadh. Um, you know, the international listing, I think, uh, in many ways was an aspiration um, by the crown prince. You know, the, this is certainly something that would have helped um, you know, bring Aramco to the international markets and, and make it even more prominent than, than it is. Um, but I think the Saudis just realized, you know, at the moment at least, that it's, it's, it is not such an easy sale, probably not as easy as they had hoped for. And so I think it will come down to now seeing how, how first of all, how the IPO goes, you know, how, how the share price will develop in, in coming years and um, I mean, Amina has, you know, probably a bit more to say about it, but, you know, the, an international, uh, listing has not been ruled out and it's still something that we, that we may see. And I think, uh, there is, uh, probably a certain time frame for it. Um, Amina, you may have something else yeah, to say on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, um, international listing, we don't think is going to happen, uh, in the next year or two. They, they want to test, uh, Aramco in a kind of controlled environment and listening, listing on uh, Tadawal enables them to do that, to see how prices, uh, react and to gradually ease, uh, the culture of Aramco and becoming more transparent and so on. So, um, it was always the plan to list in Tadawal first, and that's uh, that's what they're doing. And maybe just one other okay. point to add. I mean, um, 
it was always going to be a challenge, uh, I think, for Aramco to be listed, certainly in highly regulated markets. And, um, you know, that's become obvious during the during the whole preparation process. I mean, a listing in New York, for example, would have been uh, extremely complex, would have... Uh, the exposure um, to the yes. regulations, to the disclosures. Legal to, risks. Yeah. It, it would have really been um, a challenge. And I think, um, you know, it may have... You know, it may have been less stringent in, in other markets, uh, whether it's London or Hong Kong, but it would still have been a substantial challenge. And I think um, uh, that's probably also played into the decision. And I, I mean, if they do want to go ahead, at least now they will have time to continue preparing themselves for uh, for this. But for the time being, even in mm. the foreseeable future, um, I mean, I've heard from international bankers and advisors that New York is off the list. Yeah. Uh, New York is not happening. Hmm. Okay. Well, obviously, there is a lot of risk to price in here. uh, But near the top of the list has got to be the political risk of investing in a company that is so tied to um, a a very volatile part of the world. So how is the the region's inherent political and geopolitical risk factoring into this IPO? Yeah, I mean, I think... uh... Any investor will obviously be looking uh, uh, at a pretty long list of risks, you know, that, that be getting involved. And I mean, some of these risks are, are very real and, you know, Aramco has been exposed to them and, and we've se- seen them uh, unfold over the last couple of months. Uh, I mean, we had those aerial strikes on the Upcake and Corais uh, oil installations, which temporarily knocked out about 50% of Saudi oil production capacity. You know, prior to that, we had an attack on the, the Sheba uh, oil fields, the no, East-West the, Pipeline. Yeah, the East-West Pipeline. I mean, there were a number of attacks and the threat is still there. Um, we saw recently, I mean, the Houthis are still hijacking vessels and so on. So the threat is still alive. And the so, tension with Iran uh, as well. Yeah. So as long as, you know, for example, the, um, the, the, the Yemen crisis is playing out, the Saudi military involvement in, uh, in Yemen, uh, where they um, are looking to install the uh, internationally recognized government um, and 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 push back the Houthis. I think you know, um, as long as this uh, war goes goes on, you know, the 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 risk will remain that Saudi oil installations may be attacked. And then on top of that, of course, you know, the region, as we all know, generally is uh, pretty volatile at the moment. We have still high tensions with Iran, which is under sanctions and under a lot of pressure as well. So, um, you know, there there are multiple risks. And then on top of this, of course, uh, um, you know, you you have broader geopolitical issues, including the US-China trade war, which hasn't been resolved. So these are all issues, I think, that investors you know, we'll be looking at and we'll have to be aware of. And just what other kind of risk factors kind of beyond geopolitics, uh, I guess, kind of corporate risk factors should be on our radar in terms of how we determine whether or not this IPO is a success or considered a success? Well, we really have to determine um, what what time period are we talking about? The, the IPO being a success right away, right after the listing? Do we look at those numbers and see how much they generate? Or are we looking at the IPO being a success? Do we look back in a year and see what happens? So um, those are, I mean, the time factor is something to look at. But um, oil demand is one factor that we have to keep uh, an eye on and uh, 
especially now as uh, oil policy is still dictated by the energy ministry. Aramco doesn't have control of, over how much oil it produces. Um, so that's uh, that's a risk factor. Um, I don't know if uh, maybe the energy transition. Yeah, I mean, I think there? broadly speaking, you know, the energy transition is, is, is obviously a risk, especially if you take a sort of longer term perspective. Um, your related policy changes that may affect Aramco, um, you know, the, the sort of war on plastics, uh, you know, uh, is going to be an issue that's obviously uh, a move by Aramco to become a, a much bigger petrochemical and chemical producer. So I think these are all risks, you know, that you have to factor in. Hmm. So just because they're the biggest oil company doesn't mean they're immune to the challenges that are facing, that the rest of the industry is facing, yeah. certainly. Absolutely. All right. Well, <clears throat> well, this is uh, something that we will obviously be following closely as it unfolds. And I imagine we'll be checking back in with you in Dubai at some point. Uh, but for now, thank you both very much for your insights. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to everyone else for listening. You can read all of our news and analysis online at energyintel.com and check back here in a couple weeks for a new edition of the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Luke Johnson. We'll talk to you soon.